Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Daily Dialectic. We have a special episode today. I'm going to be interviewing one of my favorite people, Ty Lee, who is a painter, a dancer, a writer, a pain in the ass, <laughs> um, a Maoist. She okay. gets on people's nerves all the time, very good at pissing people off. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are always my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've been wanting to have a conversation like this for a while. Um, so Ty, what are you, what are you thinking about nowadays um nowadays so i'm i i have a lot of my plate i'm working on a lot of different projects artistically and you know the one thing that is i guess tying them together is the one idea that's tying them together is uh i guess you could call it a maoist idea Mm. which would be uh the need for like a total ideological aesthetic revolution um so just a small thing (laughs) a small little thing yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so this isn't like a new idea for you this is pretty much all you ever think about yeah which is is really the only thing that's worth thinking about is total revolution in all possible ways totally total war on all fronts yeah right in particular one woman army yeah sure something like that And, and particularly with um, what's going on, obviously, in the international situation mm. with uh, a kind of mass unrest or dissatisfaction with everything that is going on, and that just because there is this um, understanding that we're fucked, you know, or, or something to that degree. I'm actually doing great. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else might be having a hard time, but I'm I'm fine. Good. <laughs> Good for you. I'm actually maybe individually doing kind of okay. Better than I have in months. But anyway, mm. um, th- that because of this mass uh, dissatisfaction, understanding that things are fucked, now is where the ideological struggle becomes really important. Because mm. now, as we can see in all like aspects of the culture... You have all of these different kind of ideologies that are coming up to try to kind of deal with what is going on. So you have like the liberal, woke, uh, highly individualistic ideology that is kind of trying to pose itself as an alternative. You have this kind of right-wing populism. Um, I like both of those things. I think woke liberalism and right-wing populism are great, actually. They're the answer. Am I wrong? Oh my god. (laughs) Well, it appears that, you know, then this is my... Isn't that dialectics? We have to synthesize well, exactly. wokeness and right-wing populism? Well, we have to... And then to we s- get the revolution? Well, we need to figure out... Uh, because both have uh, kind of their... No, I don't want to say that. Yeah, don't say it. I'll fucking throw you out of here. <laughs> say that shit. <laughs> what, what if you I'm fuck up once, is, you're is, gone. Uh, what I'm saying <laughs> is that... Uh, we do need, like, a revolutionary proletarian ideology. No. And... As Lennon said, there's no revolution without revolutionary theory. Yes. Uh. Exactly. Simple. Totally. And so, as an artist, I'm like, okay, well, what is... that? Then, if we think about that, that this that we need some kind of theory, um, then artists... Suddenly, the role of the artist is very important. 
And I, I think I get a lot of shit for that because people are like, oh, you PMC. Um, you like getting shit, you though. Just, I think it's funny. <laughs> I think it's funny. Because, well, one, you because they're wrong. People. They are wrong. Yeah. They're totally wrong. Mm. And... And it bothers you when people are wrong. You can't just, like, be like, okay, people are wrong, whatever. Like, you take it personally and you have to destroy them. Yeah, because until... it's total warranted. Yeah, but, like, you never <laughs> change anyone's minds, do you? Have you ever um, changed anyone's minds? But that's not really what it's about. I think I've, I think I have maybe um, opened up other possibilities and mm. other people's thinking. Um, I don't think that I've ever, like, <laughs> won anybody over necessarily. You've never gotten a message where it was like, hey, I used to hate you and think you were a retard, but now, actually, I see that what, were you, what you were saying was right. That's never happened? No. But what no, I have that's gotten... That's never going to happen. <laughs> what I have gotten, though, is that, uh, is, um, I appreciate, uh, the kind of things that you've, um, shown me, but I think that it's important to have enemies because that means yes. that you actually are doing something. And I'm not trying right. to win over enemies, because they've already decided that they're an enemy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's weird to want to win over anyone, really. Like, I don't think changing people's minds... Like, I, I don't care about doing that. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying... Right. Like, I already know what I think, and I'm just going to put it out there. And people who get it, get it. People who don't, don't. And that's right. their loss. I don't know. This idea of, like, changing minds, hearts and minds... That's sort of how they sold the Iraq war. Like, oh, we're going to go over there. We're going to bring democracy. Right. You know. So sure. changing people's minds and hearts, I don't think that's revolutionary, really. That's no. sort of a kind of weird imperialism. Yes, sure. And, um, and it kind of it shows a lack of understanding of what struggle actually is. Because mm. uh, struggle requires kind of this... Uh, uh, attention and a back and forth kind of uh, exchange that is sometimes really sharp and violent. Oh yeah. Um, it's not this like kumbaya of uh, you know we're all gonna get around and, and hold hands and and you know decide about the goodness of the world or whatever this right. shit is. Yeah, like if you change people's minds and get them to agree with you, I feel like that's actually not good because no. you're not going to move forward that way. You move forward by sort of digging your heels in being sharp, as you were saying, and yeah, like, because if, I don't know, if you're going to change someone's mind and get them to agree with you, they're going to, like, want a piece of you, or they're going to want to change you, I think. Right, sure. And you, <laughs> you should never do that. You should never right. change. Especially uh, not as an artist or, you know, um... As a revolutionary theorist. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, which I think that... I think that there was a time when artists took their work more seriously... Mm. as a thing that actually had a material consequence in the world. And yeah. I think that there is a liberal ideology that has uh, proliferated throughout artists that says, actually, you know, what I do doesn't really matter. Mm. And I'm going to make this band about pizza and beer. Uh, you know, and it's Sounds just like fun kind of cool times. Band, it's just fun times. Isn't that like Macaulay Culkin's band? The pizza yeah. band? He's a fucking dumbass. <laughs> I hate that guy. He's horrible. He's just like totally uh, 
just this uh, unnecessary appendage in culture. I just we don't need him. No, I think we've advanced beyond the need for <laughs> Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin. Culkin. <laughs> and pizza and beer bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is that? You mm. know. Uh, but it's hard because you're in sort of the Brooklyn music scene. Mm-hmm. And you have a band. Um, and, like, most people who get into being in a band in Brooklyn, like, they just kind of want to hang out and do pizza and beer bands or, like, network right. and be scenesters or whatever. Right. And to do that, you can't be, like, this sharp, aggressive, sort of hard-headed bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. like you are. Right. Um, and you can't really think that your work has implications beyond just like contributing to the scene or like building your personal brand right. or whatever sure so uh, art in brooklyn at least um yeah it seems like it's about advancing your own brand and sort of insinuating yourself in the scene but you're not really interested in those things you sort of destroy your brand a lot yeah. not that you even have a brand but right. if you did i feel like you would destroy it blow it up constantly yeah which i think is cool because that's sort of what i did right um yeah, and so I think you should always be exploding things. You should always be dynamite at all times. Sure. Um, and that starts with yourself. Yeah. You know. Definitely. And uh, kind of holding on to this idea of an authentic self mm. um, that can't be changed, that shouldn't be changed. Human nature, baby. You know, yeah. it's like, well, this to me seems very um, bourgeois and... Mm. Uh, it is a bourgeois pathology, you know. I, I'm so I'm just authentically who I am, and I'm I'm mm. ironically dis uh, 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 I'm ironically um, unattached to you know the implications of my work. I just am what I am, and whatever you know. This kind of like uh, yeah. uh, is that Lana Del Rey kind of? Yeah, it's a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's most people. Well, you have two different kinds of people. You have the pizza and beer people who have nothing to say, but I want to just have a fun time. You know, I want to celebrate imperialism, which is what they're doing. Pizza and beer bands celebrate imperialism. Yes, that's what they do. They're like, we're going to have a pizza party about how fucking toothless I mean, beer is fine. We're drinking drinking (laughs) beer right now. I know you love beer. I love beer, and pizza's fine too, but what what are you saying if you're saying that art should be to celebrate... My pizza party <laughs> in the United States of America. That's a deeply political statement. People would yeah. say, "No, it's it's not." The point is that it's not political. Well, your apolitical stance is deeply political, particularly right. in a gentrified neighborhood in right. Brooklyn. As Howard Zinn said, "You can't be neutral on a moving train." Right. You're always serving something. Yeah. Right. Um, but then uh, uh, you also have the other side of this coin, which is the kind of super ironic. Uh, <laughs> Um, disaffected, uh, like lower Manhattan, um, emaciated women who (laughs) were Mm. like, oh, feminism, Mm. we don't need feminism, this kind of thing. Wow, you do that voice too well. I I know them. (laughs) I know them. I'm in their ether. And and this, uh, you know, we're the real radicals because we don't care about anything Mm. and this kind of thing. But they're two sides of the same coin. Because both of those both of those stances are basically saying that uh, the world as it stands is okay, mm-hmm. and we as artists have nothing to contribute except yeah. maybe like a kind of smug or snarky critique in scare right. quotes. Uh, 
that like amounts taking little to... pot shots. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But 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 uh... yeah, they don't want to move anything forward. They just want to move themselves forward. They just want exactly. to build their brands. Sure. Or whatever. And it shows in the work itself. Mm. You know. Um, for example. For example. Name uh, names. Slit throats. Okay. There's a band called Surfboard in Brooklyn. They sound shitty. And <laughs> the, you know, this is not like a personal dig necessarily. I don't fuck care. Fuck you, Surfboard. I really don't care. Coming for you, fucking what it bourgeois scumbags. <laughs> but they are bourgeois scumbags. I mean... What it became, what it is, this band, is, uh, you know, the lead singer has, like, a cool look. Her name's Danny Miller. Um, but she's very much, like, her whole kind of political statement, and she calls it, like, a, a, a feminism, but really it's an anti-feminism, is, like, uh, it's all about just having fun. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm so empowered because I'm a woman having fun. It's very subversive. And, and she's a Gucci model on the side. Mm. What is this? What the fuck is this? Feminism for who? Feminism for who? You and your rich friends? You know? (laughs) What part of feminism is fun? I have had never... I've never had a fun time being a feminist. It's only filled me with pain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't seem like the most fun people. When I think of feminism, fun is not the first word that pops in there. But I guess that's okay. And like... With Marxists, I think that's the same, too. Like, Marxists aren't supposed to be the most fun people. Like, that's always been, like, a big dig against them. Like, when I was in college, I was more right-wing then, because that's sort of how I was raised. And I was reading Nietzsche all the time, like a fucking psycho. And that would make (laughs) you even more right-wing. The aristocratic rebel. Yeah. Well, I got to that only last year. Um, That's actually coming out in paperback soon. Um, I don't know why I'm doing plugs for other people's books. Um, but yeah, so when I was in college, I read a lot of right-wing shit. Um, and one of the books I read was by Alan Bloom, who's this, who was this philosophy professor at the University of Chicago, which is a you know horrible reactionary fascist place oh, that yeah. should be burned to the fucking ground. Raise it to the ground along with NYU. Yes, the two worst places probably in the world. And, and UPenn as well. And UPenn yeah. as well. Um, if I had three... Big bombs. Not atom bombs, but like Moabs, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know those ones? Bombs that can do some stuff. Yeah, I don't want to wipe out the whole city. Yeah. I'm not crazy. Just the campus. Just the campus. <laughs> and everyone there, you know. No one's going to be allowed to leave. It's like, I don't want to destroy buildings. Right. I want to yeah. kill people. The ideas. Yeah, the and ideas might. live within people's heads, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know. There we go. They got to go. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, as so I was reading Alan Bloom's book, The Closing of the American Mind, which was a very influential book. I think it came out in like the early 90s or whatever. Um, And it was basically, it was like the earliest and probably still best like right-wing culture war book. Yeah. Like, oh, college students are crazy. Blah, the left is losing its mind. Blah, 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 blah. Um, The American mind. So it's called The Closing of the American Mind, but it's really about how the the American mind's too open now and that's like making it closed and stupid. Mm -hmm. So it's this very... uh, you know, you see a lot of post-leftists, I guess, or right-wing populists, what are these kinds of tendencies, making the same kinds of critiques that Alan Bloom was making of like, oh, the wacky left, like over 30 years ago. So none of this shit's new. Anyway, um, I bring this up because there's one chapter where he starts off by saying that Reds, Marxists, are the most joyless, least fun people <laughs> in the world. And he just says it as like a declarative statement. Um, and I remember reading that and I was like, hmm. I didn't really know many Marxists back then because I went right. to like a small shitty school in Massachusetts and like, there weren't like, there was no like a political activity left. or whatever. Yeah, no, yeah, sure. absolutely not. Um, I didn't even really know who Karl Marx was till I got to college and it was only in like a sociology class and he was just like one of the guys. 
Brilliant. It was just like, oh, Durkheim, Max Weber, Marx, and like a few others. Um, he was just like in there as another guy. He wasn't really treated as like a revolutionary or anything. Right, sure, of course um, not. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this Marx guy seems interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so that always struck me as like, hmm, Marxists aren't any fun. Interesting. But he meant that as like a criticism and right. like politics should be fun, everything should be fun sort of. But I think it's fine to not be fun if you're a Marxist because the world's not fun. The world's serious. People are fucking miserable and dying all the time. I don't know. I think fun's kind of a lie. Uh, And so there's this gregariousness that you see a lot with leftists that we all have to be friends. We're all, (laughs) we're all all chums. We're guffawing. We're having a good old time. You know, Um, I don't think that's what Marxism should be about really. No, fuck that. There's, <laughs> yeah, and, like, there are some stories you hear of, like, oh, Engels was a champagne socialist. Like, he loved to fuck, and he loved fucking alcohol and whatever. Like, I guess right. that's true to an extent. I don't know. Um, but, like, just because, like, one of the guys who was developing the theory, like, liked women and alcohol doesn't mean that, I don't know. Right. That it's Marxism like, is about fun. Right. No, <laughs> of course not. Yeah. I, I think that, that this kind of... Well, because I think that the stuff about having to be fun, it, it's like it, you have to feel good about um, what you're doing. You know, um, mm. It's all about, it kind of leads into this kind of empowerment idea. Mm. They're kind of similar. You hate that shit. I hate that shit. <laughs> um, and like, you know, the, even something like sex positivity is, cons- is connected to this idea of, of fun and, uh, you know, Pleasure is revolutionary. This kind of right. thing. Um, yeah. You know, as a woman, me, as a, as a woman, because I'm individually sexually liberated, that makes me um, a revolutionary some kind of subject. Re- yeah. But yeah. that's fucking bullshit. Uh, Your you pussy know. can change the world. Yeah. Basically, that's what they're saying. <laughs> and they are reducing it to this kind of individual, uh, biologically essentialist idea of sexuality. There's a whole lot of problems with it. But... Uh, you know, Andrea Dorkin, who is a very hated figure, unfairly, a lot of people haven't read her, mm. and they should, because she's an incredible stylist. You love hated figures. Oh, yeah. The more hated a figure is, the, the more you're going to be Because they were it. probably right. Yes, of course, yeah. You know, uh, but she kind of reminds me of Malcolm X in this way, that she's huh. very, um... Uh, she's she a Malcolm doesn't X give of an sex. In- yeah, kind of. <laughs> you know, there's, she never gives an inch with any of it. Yeah. And she never kind of backs down from the dismal reality of uh, what it means to be a woman. Which does more for women than, you know, this idea that uh, if you just have enough fun, <laughs> we will all be free. You know, when you think right. about it like that, it's There's really ridiculous. There's actually a lost um, part. There's a part in Karl Marx's Das Kapital a chapter that's overlooked where he talks about the theory of fun um, and how we just have to develop the forces of fun <laughs> mechanically and then that will bring, you know, that will bring the abolition of class society if we all just have enough we fun. Just have, we have to develop it. We have to have a big beer and pizza party. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not anti-beer. We no, are currently definitely... drinking several beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so right. this is dialectics. You can drink beer while being critical of beer. Sure. Just as I have a mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, this is where someone like Brecht is really cool. Mm. Because Brecht is like dead fucking serious, but he's also a really funny guy. I yes. think humor is really important. 
I think that that's an essential component because it kind of can, if something is too like austere, that also isn't really. Yeah, there's no way in. Exactly. Austere to me means like this, I don't know, already completed thing, like a statue and like, oh, I shouldn't go near it. Like it's already, it is what it is. And like, you just have to like quietly observe it from a distance or something. Right. And that's not what art should be. That's not what anything should be. I don't know. You right. should be able to like go up to it and I don't know, grapple with it. Right. Sure. Whatever. Um, yeah. So Brecht is very serious, but also, so Walter Benjamin, um, Benjamin, I know you're supposed to not pronounce it Benjamin, what but What is it's up fine. with that? I'm Americanizing it because I'm trying to make Walter Benjamin cool. Benjamin. 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 I always mean, Do you want to try again? Benjamin. <laughs> I have such vivid memories of being a fucking jackass in grad school in New York. I would be like, oh, Walter Benjamin. And these women in my program would be like, you mean Benjamin? I'd be like, oh, I like Marcuse. They'd be like, you mean Marcusa? Yes, both of these have happened. I like Ernst Bloch. You mean Ernst Bloch? (laughs) Fuck you. This is America. I don't have time for that shit. Yeah, like. (laughs) That's happened with. uh, I was in a philosophy club and I said Benjamin and my, like. I love him to death, but my studio philosophy friend's like, who's Benjamin? Yeah, and that's and why... I was like, what the... F- what? Man, I fucking just picked this up and Benjamin read it on my cool, own. Benjamin is cool, but, like, <laughs> people don't think he's cool because you got to say his name in this very gay way. I don't know. If, if people yeah. just started calling him Benjamin, I feel like that would be better. Right. I don't know. But I brought him up because he was good friends with Brecht. Bertolt Brecht. Um, and I think most of... Walter Benjamin's friends, like, didn't like, didn't approve of his relationship with Brecht. Yeah, Adorno didn't. Adorno didn't, and probably Gershom Scholem, who was his, like, weird Zionist friend. Right, right, right. Um, Jewish mysticism and all this. Jewish mystic, yeah. Um, And so Benjamin, very, the most dialectical guy ever, really, I think. Um, So you see it with his friendships with Brecht on the one hand and um, Scholem on the other. and Brecht didn't like Scholem. He didn't like Jewish mysticism. So, like, Kafka, for instance, Brecht called Kafka a Jewish fascist. A Jewish fascist, that's right. In, Basically. In reflections, that's in there. Yeah, yeah. in their conversations. Um, because, you know, Brecht was an artist, a revolutionary artist, and Kafka wasn't really a revolutionary artist. What he was doing was very new, and no one had ever seen it before. Um, but it wasn't, like, leading anywhere. It was kind of like this maze that you get trapped in. Right. And so Brecht doesn't think art should be this kind of abyss. So Kafka's opening up this kind of abyss that you can lose yourself in. Um, and for Brecht, art has to be grounded in the world. It has to sort of not be inclusive, but there has to be, I don't know, a relatability to it, sort sure, of. Sure, sure, sure. And there is to Kafka, but Kafka's relatability is all very negative. It's all very much like, oh, we're so fucked, we're so alienated, everything's over. We've lost our humanity entirely. Whereas with Brecht, I think he's sort of getting us to reconnect with our humanity mm-hmm. through his use of humor. So sure. he's using humor and for this very serious purpose. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And in, um, when Mother of Courage was first uh, performed in Berlin, um, this is a pretty famous little story. Uh, Brecht was really upset because a lot of the audience kind of had this, uh, they didn't understand the humor of it, and they kind mm. of began to sympathize with Mother Courage, and they were like, oh, you mm. know, this kind of liberal bleeding heart thing of like, 
this poor woman, you know, oh my God. Lock onto Twitter. Mother courage is everything. (laughs) (laughs) We are all mother courage right now. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Brex. What is it like? Current weight, whatever. Goal weight, mother courage. Mother courage. Exactly. Exactly. Shit. And Brex was like, no, you didn't get it. You're you're going to sympathy and these kind of like you didn't understand what I was trying to say. If what you got out of the end of it was that you should feel bad and you know open your hearts to her because there's something despicable about her and the whole kind of mm. the way he's trying to present it is yeah. is funny and alienating. Uh, but people thought I shouldn't be alienated by this. I should feel close to her. And so he was very right. much uh, put off by that and he famously held more rehearsals and kind of restaged it to try to get the actual point across because he felt as though it failed when people kind of sympathized with her yeah. in that type of way. And I think with Kafka, there is a lot of sort of, oh, I'm just like Gregor Samsa. I feel like I'm turning into a bug. I feel like, you know, no one understands me or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think that is sort of the essence of bourgeois art is that you're supposed to see yourself represented in the sure, art. Sure. And so we see this all the time with, like, woke media. Representational liberal politics. Is right. In, so we yeah, have yeah. to have, like, a, you know, um, HBO did this, like, woke version of Watchmen, basically. Watchmen is this, yes. like, very famous comic yeah, yeah. book. Um, they made it into a movie, like, 12 years ago, but then HBO made it into, like, a show. Um, but it was all about, like, being woke, sort of. Sure. Um they had a horror series um, called Lovecraft Country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, all yeah. just, like, black people. It's fine. Right. Um, because Lovecraft was racist, so we're going <laughs> to take him and... Was he? I guess he was. Yeah, he was, he was just, like, everything bad. He was just, like, yeah. Satan-worshipping. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know he was racist. Yeah, he was, he was like, pretty famously, like, a white supremacist. Oh, yeah. I never there... looked into him too much. Like, Lovecraft, Aleister Crowley, like, it always seemed cringe to me. Yeah. At various points, people be like, oh, you gotta get into fucking Lovecraft and Alistair Crowley. <laughs> like, no, like, fuck you. I, I don't care. I'd rather get into literally anything else. I'll read Edgar Allan Poe if I'm gonna do that shit. Sure. I'm still not gonna read Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, like, even Stephen King, I'll, I'll read before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so lots of, you know, sort of woke media where, oh, this is great because underrepresented groups are finally getting their moment in the sun, and then all of those people who haven't seen themselves are seeing themselves. Right. And representation matters, goddammit. Right. You know. But what is that? And Brecht was going against all of that. Exactly. A hundred years ago. Or totally. More. Right. Because what is it saying to be represented within um, a brutally exploitative system and to feel good about that? That that's right. some kind of win. The only problem with the system is that it's missing me. Exactly. <laughs> if me could be, you know, visible and highly represented and so on, then everything would be fine. Or there's this liberal idea that like, oh, if I'm reflected, if I get sort of a position of power, then I can change things from within. Right. So I think that's sort of at the root of this exactly. liberal, woke, yeah, sure, bourgeois sure, sure. art of representationalism, of these, you know, marginalized groups and whatever... Um, that once they open a space for these people to come in, then once they're inside, they're, they're you know, they're being essentialized. Like, oh, once we get these sure. yeah. um, underrepresented people in, they're, they're magic. And once their incredible essence is in the system, that will have this effect of enlightening everyone right. and smoothing over all the contradictions and whatever. Well, um, we can all just get along capitalism. Which right. is yeah. a, 
uh, disavowal of the the primary problem with capitalism. We can't all get along. It's impossible for that to happen. Right. And so it er- erases the line between... Classes. And, yeah. But it's, <laughs> right. Between classes. And it obscures who your enemies are. Exactly. Sure. Um, so okay. you shouldn't want to be part of your enemy's situation. No. You should want to fucking destroy it. Exactly. And if they let you in, they're like, okay, you're going to be represented within the system. Um, you shouldn't want to be part of it. Because... Right. Well, you already are part of it. No one is not part of it. But what they're saying is a couple of you can have a seat at, at our, our ruling class table. And yeah. that should be enough for all of you. You know. There is something to that. So in other countries, in Germany, they have this law. I forget the word. It's some like long, crazy German word where every company that's over a certain size, they have to have like 30% of the boards of directors have to be workers. Um, so that's a form of representation that I think is meaningful, but just having like, you know, a certain quota of, you know, women or black people or whatever, be part of the boards of directors or be executives and so on. Um, that's not necessarily going to change things because they're not carrying the concerns of the working class with them necessarily. They're carrying their own concerns or for their little group or whatever. Right. Um, so there can be some forms of representationalism that could be good um and i think german companies you know who have that rule of you know a certain percentage of the board of directors have to be workers i'm sure you know um they treat their workers better um so that could like and there's no talk of doing that in america no that i have ever heard no i don't know it's a pretty basic thing right you would think that we would be able to do that but there's no like oxygen or space to talk about that because it's all about oh we have to represent various diverse groups within the system. Sure. But even, you know, obviously even there's limitations to even workers being represented in that way because it still is... Obviously it's better than nothing, right? But it's still saying that uh, the issue isn't the system in its entirety, it's that workers need better representation in it. So it's not right. revolutionary, but it's definitely better than what we have, which is nothing. Yeah, it's a kind of social democratic, social democratic reform, thing, I guess. Sure. But it's like a real one um, with teeth, and that's what we don't even come close to having. Right. Like sure. in, in America, social democratic reforms are like, I don't know, Medicare for all, which is good. Right. But I don't know. I, I think I would prefer like the German idea of like every corporation above a certain size has to have like 30% of their boards of directors be workers. I don't know. Sure. Wouldn't that, would that be better than Medicare for all? Um, I think that both of them are, and people are going to get on me to be like, you're you ultra, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm advocating for revolutionary politics. I think no. both of them ultimately. The only people who do, call people ultras are trots or trots. Exactly. Or like Dangus, which I mean, yeah, you don't like them. No, I, that, those are my newest <laughs> enemies because they're fucking... Uh... Too many enemies on my list to sift through. <laughs> Nobody got my back in this bitch but Pistol. Exactly. It's my first and hopefully last Eminem reference. <laughs> <laughs> my brain is weird. It's just Eminem quotes and Nietzsche quotes. I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's good. amazing that I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. But, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, minor concessions... And I think that ultimately, 
And it takes your eyes off the prize. So what is exactly. the what is the end goal? The end goal is it's the abolition of class society, the abolition of private property. Working class dictatorship. Yeah. Well that's not even the end goal. The end goal is the abolition of class society. Working class dictatorship is how you get that. Right. And then the proletariat or the working class has to abolish themselves as a class. Right, sure, which is what China so, failed to do. Yeah, and so that requires a lot because even like good Marxists, they're very interested in the proletariat workers and all of that as we're supposed to be they often fetishize and reify yeah reify means like reinforce yeah, or yeah. concretize yeah sure i love to use even more complicated words to explain <laughs> complicated words reify means means concretize, concretize. Yeah. Duh, obviously oh, okay it. what does concretize mean <laughs> it means make more concrete yeah right? pretty self-explanatory i, I guess so um <laughs> but yeah so even like orthodox marxists especially orthodox marxists they can, you know, they're supposed to have the interests of the working class in mind, of course, but as I was just saying, they can like, I don't know, um, fetishize the working class or make it into almost this identity group. Right, sure. Um, but the working class is supposed to be this tool that gets into power, that takes control of the bourgeois state in order to have a dictatorship of their own interests, but not so that they can remain in control of the state apparatus so yeah, that they can abolish it. abolish themselves. Right, so it requires a kind of lack of ego on the part of the proletariat. Not to say, like, oh, we are workers, we are amazing, we should be in charge of everything. And, and to no. be this toiling worker is, uh, you know, uh, yeah. there's something so noble about this, about the fact that I work way too much. You know what I mean? That's right. what it comes, yes. that's yes, what it becomes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. There's like a kind of um, this is also expressed in feminism with uh, turfs who say, you know, um, aren't you a turf though? No, I'm not a turf. <laughs> Turfly. <I'm, laughs> I've been called a swerf. I've been called a swerf, but that's also incorrect. But I'm not a turf because because to be a turf is this kind of same thing of people are forgetting that the idea. Because I'm a turf. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> These, these women, these TERFs, are forgetting that the idea is to abolish women. The idea abolish of women, women, I like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, what is a woman? What is a woman? You know, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, it's not a biological fact. It's not a natural fact. Mm. It's a social fact. It's something that can be changed and should be changed. What TERFs do is they say, oh, women, you know, our wombs, that's what makes us women. Uh, it's a liberal idea. Uh, woman right. is a natural category. Yeah. And uh, so if you're you should be trying to reifying it. womanhood, um, that's sort of the same, and this is the point you're just making, mm-hmm. the same point as reifying being a worker, workerism. So workerism right. and feminism sure. can both be bourgeoisified sure. in this way. And so this reminds me of uh, Walter Benjamin again, uh, his 11th thesis on the philosophy of history. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it's so fucking relevant. His critique of social democracy, his critique yes. of like vulgar Marxism right, sure. and workerism, all the things that people like us always talk about. Um, so Marx is critiquing uh, the Gotha program, which Althusser loves the critique of the Gotha program and Benjamin loves the critique of the Gotha program. Um, so the Gotha program defines labor as the source of all wealth and all culture. And so Marx didn't like this. He didn't like a form of communism it was basically basically fetishizing the worker, so that's why he critiqued the Gotha program. Right, um, and it's one of his last works. It's not even that long. It's not like a major work. It's like right. a 
not even it's like an essay. It's not even a pamphlet. But Al, all Althusser ever talks about is a critique of the Gothic program. It's like the one thing that Marx wrote that he's like, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Everything else he finds a problem yeah. with, it. even <laughs> capital. He's like, oh, there were only like three good chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read most of it. That's so funny. I mean, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, like it's you just great. have to read like chapter ten, chapter fourteen, and part eight of Capital, I think, and then like that's enough. Um, right. Yeah, it's kind of like Thomas Jefferson. He went through the Bible and like took out all the bad stuff or whatever. Um, <laughs> I, don't know. I shouldn't compare it to Sarah and Thomas. Jefferson. <laughs> well, they probably treated women in similar, yeah, <laughs> similar <yes>. ways. <laughs> Two kings. Um, okay, so the Gotha program. Uh, defined labor as the source of all wealth and all culture. And so Benjamin says, smelling a rat, Marx countered that the man who possesses no other property than his labor power must of necessity become the slave of other men who have made themselves the owners. Right. So it's the master-slave dialectic. That if you view your whole self-worth and everything and all value, you know, the totality of wealth and culture in your position as a worker, then that necessarily entails an employer class or right. an ownership class. Right, sure, sure, sure. And so you're, if you reify the labor relation or your status as a worker, again, you're necess- like you need some, you need a boss. Right. And so this does not go along with the ultimate goal of Marxism, which is the abolition of class society. Right. right? And so sure. I think the same thing holds with your critique of feminism, is that if yeah. you reify womanism (laughs) being a woman then that necessarily entails a kind of patriarchal system or a man because you have to define yourself in relation woman only exists uh because of the existence of man uh it's a it's a social political thing it's not a natural thing so women should be grateful that they exist because of men that's what some feminists you're welcome ladies that is what some feminists (laughs) will tell you yeah they will look That's you the kind in of the feminism that I can get. I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> they will look you like in the that. eye and say, "We ought to maintain women's status as um, a second, uh, the second sex," as Simone de Beauvoir would say. Right. Which is, it's liberal. Yeah. And it's not going to liberate anybody. Not women and definitely not men. Because, you know, feminism right. is universal. True feminism is universal. Yeah, and so that's part of this too, is that men are also, I don't know, negatively impacted by this of course. thing where women define themselves in relation to men and men define themselves in relation to women. Just like the bourgeoisie are kind of negatively impacted by bourgeois society like right. they're miserable too exactly work yes the workers they oppress are horribly miserable and exploited their life their lives are constant misery but the bourgeois class is not happy either and this is what their art communicates it's all right. ugly sure it's all oh, ennui it's yeah. all you know like they're not even having a good time really no um someone like trump kind of he had fun so he's very different right and i think that's why the united front of, like, the liberal bourgeois class, like, hated him so much. Right. And sure. lots of reasons. But I think one reason is, like, oh, he's not miserable. Like, he's... I mean, on s- some level, I'm sure he is miserable. But, like, he seemed to be enjoying himself. Right. What do they extent. call that? Uh, fucking Lacanians. Uh... Jouissance? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever the fuck? Yeah, I hate that word. Me too. I'm not a Lacanian. I'm not really no, that no, no, no. But, but, yeah. 
Sure. The only good French theorist is Althusser. Yeah, I'm with that. Oh, no, bad of you. Okay, and Wittig. Uh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Bedu is, he's, he's a student of Althusser, so he's yes. just saying the same shit, yeah. The yeah, other guy, yeah. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, the French people suck. I don't know, their, their food's good, I guess, but not even really. No. I don't know. No, yeah. French or Aryan. Weird country. I don't think we need it anymore. I think Europe has evolved past the need for France. Yeah, I'm, I'm That it. might be a Hitler quote. Hitler quote. <laughs> okay. As Trump said, he was right about some stuff. That's so funny. I saw that. I saw that uh, little headline today. Fucking based. Um, yeah. So, and I think this idea of like reifying or fetishizing workerism, you also see it with unionism. Um, yeah, sure. That like unions, the goal of Marxism is not to have like unions. Like right. unions exist as a bulwark against the power of the employer class. Right. Um, that's why we need unions to unify the power of the workers against the people who control them. Right. But like unions themselves are a tool. Yeah, it's one tactic. Of, yeah. To kind of alleviate in the interim, you know, it, uh, so that people aren't just like needlessly suffering the way that they are now without unions. Right. But the the goal is not to like have a bunch of unions and this is communism or whatever you know yeah some people really do kind of believe that they're like oh you know I'm communism gonna... is just when there are lots of unions yeah <laughs> communism is when you have um you know like ubi and like unions mm. <laughs> unions unions <laughs> yeah you know this is a fucking real thing. But right. Here- and to me, that's social democracy. Just raising exactly. the standard of living within the existing system. Exactly. Which, Which it's is- hard to argue against that because, yes, people are suffering and that's bad. And people should live better lives. But that has to be kept in, like, your eye on the larger goal has to be there. Right. You know. Well, um, you know, the communist hypothesis reemerges... When there's splits and crisis in social democracy. Mm. Um, even Lenin came out of this. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so when you think about that in our, our conditions now, with the loss of Bernie Sanders and all that we've just seen in terms of the splintering. Hey man, he might run again. 2024, baby. He's on his deathbed. <laughs> it's fine, Bernie. We, you did enough. You did, did enough. Did I don't. Well, I think what shit. he did is that... Uh, these kind of, the crisis in social democracy or the social democratic idea in the United States of America has kind of made it very clear who the revolutionaries are and who the people are that are actually just liberals. Or worse, as we've seen with some of these post-left people who were fascists the whole time. Post-left, what's that? Never heard of it. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, there's, th- that is the, I used to think that maybe the utility of the Bernie Sanders thing was putting socialism back on the table, but no, it's not. Moving really capitalism did, left. What he really did. Social democracy just moves capitalism left. Exactly. Uh, why can't we all get along capitalism? And no. he wanted to be like an FDR, which FDR, FDR was a liberal. FDR was he, the, a, he was the best liberal. He did the best out of anyone. This is a very well-known thing, but he said that his greatest accomplishment was... What? Stopping communism. Saving capitalism. Yeah. Which is kind of the same thing. Yeah. 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 And so the guy who, according to his own views about himself, his main accomplishment was saving capitalism. He's presented as like, oh, the most extreme leftist 
person or whatever. Right. So, like, the scope of the leftist imagination in America is a guy who saved capitalism. Right. So that's ultimately right. what the left in America is designed right. to do, but is to the, save fucking exactly. capitalism. But, but, mm. but, because Bernie Sanders failed, mm. this has created all of these kind of uh, uh, division. And division is good for revolutionary struggle. Of course. It's not a bad thing. People say, left unity, we need unity. No, fuck that. Fuck your yeah. unity. I don't want unity with anybody who... Their, their fundamental interest is in preserving capitalism. Yeah. The sooner that they make themselves apparent to me, the sooner that I can call them an enemy right. and, and find people that are actually revolutionary and right. build with them. That's the utility of the loss of Bernie Sanders. Because I yeah. think that any uh, leftist was obviously compelled by that because there was finally talks of some kind of universal anything, any kind of universality in the United States. It was very intriguing. But his loss was actually, I would argue, something that is very beneficial for communists in the United States. Because now that that uh, rupture uh, and, and uh, the fact that it failed, we can finally figure out, you know, who we can build with and what, what we can really do. Mm-hmm. That's why all these people that call for some kind of populism or... You know, put your differences aside and just do everything that the world says. We need to do alliances. Says. Yeah. We need to reach out to, you know. Fascists. What is that? Yeah. No, we don't need to reach or out like to like Christians fascists. or, I don't know. Reach out to the Catholics and the evangelicals. Trump people. What the fuck? Yeah. You think that, you think that an evangelical in the United States of America has any interest in communism <laughs> whatsoever? What a fucking joke. You know I'm an evangelical mean? communist. Yeah. Yeah, and so, as you were saying, division is important. Um, unity can often be bad. And so, people, dialectics is not about just, like, oh, it's a synthesis of everything. Dialectics is not like, oh, you take one thing, you take a thesis, and then the opposite, and you mash them together, and then you get a synthesis of a new thing. That's right. not necessarily what dialectics is. No, dialectics no. is about holding distinctions between things. Right. It's about, like, using something else and, like, smashing it on the head. And, like, you define yourself better in opposition to it. Sure, yeah. So this is a lot of what Lenin and Marx do. And Mao. And Mao, yeah. And they're not, like, being like, oh, well, I have some good ideas, but my sworn class enemy also has good ideas, so I'm going to find some middle ground between them. And that's that's dialectics, baby. Dialectics is when you water down your revolutionary ideas. No, that's not what dialectics is. Right, So if you read Lenin, he's not changing his mind. He's not, like, open to, like, oh, these people I have a disagreement with. Like, oh, we're going to find some middle ground or synthesize with them. That's not what it is. It's like I'm gonna fucking mercilessly mock and attack these people, right? And from expose a thousand them different angles for what they are. That's yeah. That that's what dialectics is. It's about right. exposing your class enemies. It's about these very subtle, ingenious attacks. These mocking, you know, cutting them with little daggers all the time. That's what Lenin always does. That's a big part of what Marx and Engels do. Um, they wrote a whole book about you know various. They wrote more about their enemies, like during right. um, various other uh, Sterner, right, 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 sure, various sure. other people, like hundreds and hundreds of pages, but just critiquing these people. The critique of the Gotha program, one of the last right. best things Marx wrote. He wasn't like, well, the Gotha program has some good ideas, and right. I'm going to synthesize them with my ideas. No, he was like, no, this all has to fucking go. Let's fuck this. <laughs> yeah, because if they're slightly wrong, then they're totally wrong. Right. Exactly. And I mean. S- 
And so, like, if you have a slight agreement with them, like, you, sh- you shouldn't be like, oh, well, we're more or less on the same page. We agree on most things, so let's come together. No, that's going to make... That's just going to amplify the errors. Right, You sure. have to close yourself off to them and attack them. Right. That's what dialectics is. Again, it's not like, oh, we have to synthesize together and then we can advance our goals. That's social democracy. And that's, that has nothing to do with communism. That has everything to do with maintaining the capitalist status quo. Right. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, y- you know, you see this liberalism has total and this is a liberal idea liberals are all about this tolerance um Mm. uh you know what i get from people when i'm really aggressive towards others which some people need to be shut the fuck down because you're a fucking idiot and you need to be told that you're an idiot and what is this because people don't know people often don't know that they're idiots yes it is worth telling people and particularly in a, a place where there's public discourse yeah um if somebody is spewing incorrect ideas and you want to call yourself a Marxist or a communist and you're just like, oh, well, I'm just going to nod my head and say yes, you're not doing your job. Right. And so this gets back to what we were saying earlier that Reds, Marxists, they're not fun. They're the most unpleasant people in the world, as Alan Bloom was saying in his book, because they should be looking for errors or minor differences they have with people who might be their allies and honing in on it and amplifying it and attacking people so if you're a marxist you don't just attack your enemies you attack your friends you attack them more right (laughs) because they're the ones who are going to lead you astray right struggle do not be afraid fuck it whatever we're gonna go we're gonna go toe to toe on this um that that's so important and what i find that is really uh telling in the Marxist circles that I'm a part of and the feminist circles that I'm a part of is um, this... uh, How would I put it? A kind of desire to not struggle. Um, To... To say, you know, what we need right now because the left is so weak... And this kind of goes into what I'm saying earlier that because of the the mass suffering that everyone is going through now, there's now a tendency to say, well, well, we need to now more than ever just not argue with each other and right. just really unify because that's what makes build. us stronger. Yeah. And to me, that's that's a red flag for anyone who calls themselves a communist mm-hmm. or a proletarian feminist because right now now more than ever is when we should be uh now is the time where the ideological struggle is so important it's it's the most important thing right now i would say more so than this kind of economic determinism right now it's about uh, uh an ideological line that we have to build you don't build that by taking the worst ideas from everyone and putting them together. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I mean, and then everyone just yeah. smiling and being like, oh my God, you know, you uh, empowered me by just agreeing with me 100% of the time. What is that? Yeah, no, Marxists should never agree. Never. Um, I guess like Marx and Engels, did they, they, I'm sure they disagreed. I don't know 
too much about their like interpersonal dynamic. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Maybe like their <laughs> epic friendship like <laughs> makes Marxists and communists think they're like, oh yeah, Marxism is just about like having a buddy that you <laughs> get along with and agree right. with or something. Marxism is when you're just nice to your best friend or something because that's how right. Engels and Marx were. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it is very much about negativity. It's about finding spaces of disagreement and that's where possibility lies. Right. Not in agreement sure. necessarily. Right. And so this is what Walter Benjamin always talks about. So his theory of history and revolution is going back and looking at what's missing from history. And what's missing from history is the proletariat. So they're the ones who make history go forward. But if you look back throughout history, those are the voices or the images that you don't really see. You just see bourgeois art. You see like the great man theory of history that like Hegel was interested in. Like, oh, and Napoleon is the one who's carrying things forward and we just need, you know, these individual great people to, you know, move history along. Uh, No, the whole point of Marxism is that the proletariat is the collective, is the subject of history. And the subject of history is collective. Um, But it's been submerged. And so it's this, so the drive, the motor of history is negative. It's not there when we look back at history. Right. Which is what the proletariat is because they're, they've been alienated, they've been exploited, they've been submerged, they're forced to, you know, exist in grinding poverty all the time and whatever. Um, and so we don't see them necessarily. And so what Walter Benjamin wants to do is bring that missing piece of history into the present. Sure. And that's how you can explode the present into the future by bringing what's missing from history to the present. Right. And so as Marxists, we shouldn't be... I don't know. We shouldn't be positive. We shouldn't be agreeing. We should be looking. We should focus on what's missing, on what's not there. Focus on negativity and pursue that. Right. And that's explosive. And that's what can, I don't know, ignite things forward. So alliances, agreements, this and that, that's how you kind of get bogged down in the status quo. Right. Sure. And that's how you get into these... Uh, this kind of swamp of thinking that populism is Marxism or populism is communism, Mm. you know, um, because then this idea of the normie, right? This is very indicative of this. Love the the normie. normie, uh, We have to uh, just appeal to the normal person and we can't say anything that might offend them. Even if this person is a white supremacist, woman hater, homophobe, transphobe, they're right, and you're wrong. And you have to just, if you really want communism, you're going to have to become a white supremacist, woman-hating transphobe. Because yeah. that's, just what, that's just what it is. Uh, that's yeah. what's present, and that's all we can work with. There's no struggle. The way to change the world is to just take the world as it is. And exactly. accept everything bad about the world. That's how you change the world. Right. Yeah? Which is... Is there anything more fucking liberal than that? It's not politics. It's anti-politics. It's saying right. that there's no work to be done. There's no struggle to be had. Yeah. It's already made, and you just kind of... Uh, you either accept it or you don't. And if you don't accept it, you're not a communist, which... You're an elitist or something. So if you reject <laughs> exactly. populism, if you reject status quo, fetishizing, reifying populism, then you're not a communist or revolutionary. Right. 
So if you're mean to the status quo, then you're not a revolutionary. Exactly. Revolution is about being nice to the status quo. Right. That's what these people I'm say. being ironic. Can people tell? No, I don't no, know. no. Sometimes I worry. No, I, I can I'm tell. I'm a little that. dry. Yeah, because you can like look at me and, yeah. and we've talked a lot. So, you know, yeah. That was some of my classic Brooklyn irony, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you also... And so it's all... Yeah. Oh, you also see it in... Um, it, it's a conserva- uh, conservative argument that poses itself as an alternative so right. you see this everywhere right now it's conservatism really, sorry is actually the new punk rock so it's, just it's, so you know it's everywhere you yeah. know all of these kind of even the whole entire idea of the dirtbag left is this populist idea mm. uh if we just say retard faggot enough times then oh my god you know then we're the work we're really working class um, Maybe it's true though, because that is really fucking funny. It is funny so to say, <laughs> whatever. But that's what workers like. Yeah, right? you know, uh, the uh, the dickies wearing workers are you know all about that life. Yeah. No, but you see this idea everywhere, um, and this is where I think that the Maoist um, idea of cultural revolution is really Enough about the damn Maoism. It's, it's really important. It's yes. really important because it, it opens up, and also series like this too with ideological state apparatus, it opens up class struggle to all of these other domains. Mm-hmm. So suddenly class struggle takes place in making art. It takes place in um, the classroom. It takes place in the family. Uh, and these are all terrains of struggle that act back on the economic base and the economic, the, you know, there's a dialectical relationship between them. It's not just a, the economic base and, and the workers that are what make this economic Generating base. everything. Uh, yeah. right. We just have to go to them and they're, uh, they're totally right. No, yeah. we need to work on the ideas of the masses. That's a part of what we should be doing as yeah. communists. And this is one of the points Lenin makes in what is to be done, is that workers, they want what they don't have. So we shouldn't go to workers and just be like, okay, you lead the way. Or like uh, economics or economism, as he calls it, right, is right, the right. key to everything. Workers don't actually want that. They, if you're going to their factory to organize them or to bring revolution or whatever, they want what they don't have. Right. So what they don't have is all these superstructural things we're talking about. Right, sure. And, or, like, concrete ideas about revolution. So this is why Lenin's, you know, his theory of the vanguard, professional revolutionaries. Right. Um, so you, you shouldn't necessarily just meet the workers where they are and just follow them because they're already entrenched within the system of capitalism. So they don't right. know how to get out of it. Right, right. <laughs> and, they need to be shown how to get out of it. And it's... it's uh, uh... Everything is, you know, the the superstructure is acting back onto the base. It's reciprocal. It's not superstructure. I'll take the soup. Sorry. <laughs> that's funny, actually. It's not that funny. No, that that's funny. It's a good pun. The more beers I get in, just the horrible puns start coming out. Yeah, the puns anyway, are coming. Please the puns continue. Are coming. But um, you know, so Altusser talks about this too. You know, with the idea that you know the the working class is already has some kind of revolutionary capacity. Mm-hmm. They just have to understand and kind of learn and uh, that has to be like ignited in them. The petty bourgeois intellectual mm-hmm. understands and knows, but they have to be with the masses uh, in order to 
become revolutionary themselves. Mm-hmm. This is also a very Maoist idea. This is the idea of the mass line, that, that everyone has to be kind of in this symbiotic relationship with each other. They're not separate things. One doesn't just go to the other. They're both uh, inflecting each other. This is the idea of ideological struggle. So many people want to paper over it and say that this isn't important. Again, it's the most important thing right now. If you deny that, then uh, you deny the work, particularly in the United States, that needs to be done the most. I mean, you have people who call themselves socialists who said with a straight face, um, these Jacobin people, saying that defund the police is an alienating slogan. Oh, really? They said that? Yeah, Megan They're trying to be like anti-woke or post-left or something yeah they, they like you're of, fucking jacobin you're not gonna ever be anything other than rad libs how call the them? fuck are you gonna call yourselves jacobin and say defund the police mm. is, is a uh it, it was, uh, <laughs> i didn't read that article so megan day was megan like the day worst tweeted jacobin writer that was like uh this was like probably three or four months ago but i was mm. cracking up at it they all have me blocked so i can't see that's funny <laughs> yeah, shit. i love that but she said uh Defund the police was extremely alienating to the mm. working class. Um, it was a mistake. Uh, but aren't they already alienated? So, like, if something alienates them, that's, like, bringing them out of their alienation. Right? We shouldn't... Sure. So, isn't, like, the working assumption of Marxism is that the working class is alienated? That's, like, what capitalism does, one of the main things it does. So, like, if what your, if your revolutionary activities, if they don't understand it... That means that it's working. Because right. they shouldn't because understand. Because it's something totally new from what they have. Yeah. yeah. And so if you're just meeting them where they are and appealing to their submerged, alienated, exploited consciousness as it is, that's not going to lead anywhere. Sure. That's, it claims to be a kind of materialism. Because like, oh, we have to be realistic. We have to be focused on the actual existence of the worker as they are. And so that claims to be a kind of materialism. Right. But that's not dialectical materialism. No, it's that's, not. That's, what do we call that, Ty? Mechanical materialism. Mechanical materialism, you that's also right. See Sometimes this turns into the... a pop quiz. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you also see it with uh, this new thing amongst people who call themselves communists. They're, they, they say, um, well, I got fucking reamed for this like a bunch of fucking idiots <laughs> they're like <laughs> you don't hear that word enough it's, it's a good word got reamed. they go you know what you fucking maoist ultra bitch mm. um you are all three I of those things maoist though ultra bitch yeah mub <laughs> mubly <laughs> well they go your your hatred of the united states of america is alienating the working class oh shit uh you need that. to uh, the Twink Rev guys, that Eric Arbor guy, you know, whatever. Oh, she's naming names, folks. For, for, for the record, though, I think that Esperanza from Twink Rev is amazing. She's a fucking real one, but a lot of those other guys are, mm-hmm. are clowns. But um, they said, uh, you know, your use of anti-Americanism shows that you're not serious about communist revolution. Right. And I was like, Communism is when you embrace the imagery of the the... global hegemon of capitalism. (laughs) What an absolutely ridiculous... That was also irony, folks? It's just, it's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever been told. I was like... Yeah, this was a line that was going on last summer, I think. Um, Like, left-wing patriotism, leftist patriotism. Right. 
Um, and it made no fucking sense. And I had a tweet last year when I was fighting with all these fucking people um, that, like, if you want left-wing patriotism... So they claim to want left-wing patriotism, but they also claim to hate Joe Biden. And I was like, Joe Biden is left-wing. left patriotism. Yeah. And people shit on me. They're like, oh, you're saying Joe Biden's a leftist? I'm like, oh, Like, no, no, no. He's liberal, whatever. I mean, he's to right. the left of Donald Trump. Right. <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... And... I saw a, a talk Biden gave the other day, I think on the 4th of July, where he was pushing his um, vaccination thing. He was like, get vaccinated, folks. It might sound corny, but it's the patriotic thing to do. Interesting. So he was literally doing, and a lot of right-wingers right now are being like, oh, Biden wants to go door-to-door and give people these vaccine shots. And right. like that's something that Mao would do or whatever. Um so, yeah, he's <laughs> using the language of patriotism in service of, I guess vaccines are viewed as, like, a leftist thing because everything's politicized and culture war. Yeah, sure. Culture warified now. Um, so, yeah, like, that was, that's left-wing, left-wing patriotism in America is Joe Biden saying it's patriotic to right. get vaccinated. Right, sure. And so that's what, that's what they want. Isn't yeah. that, le- that's left-wing patriotism. Right. But uh, it sucks. It <laughs> it's sucks, Joe Biden telling you to get vaccinated. And fuck the United States of America. Yeah. I mean, I thought that this was a pretty widely accepted idea amongst the left. <laughs> that America fucking sucks in every possible yeah. way. Well, it's this whole contrarianism thing. They're like, oh, the left hates America. The left is cringe and gay. So to be a cool leftist, we have to like America. Because that's like the opposite of what the left usually does. Right. That's sort of the thinking, I think. It's the same thing like, oh, conservatism is the new punk rock. Right, sure. Loving America is the new, like, leftist thing. And this is how we will get communism or whatever. But it's like... Because we have to appeal to this generic, abstract idea of workers. And workers workers love America. Didn't you know? (laughs) Every worker loves America. This just goes to show... Even though they're horribly ground down by poverty and their existence is misery. And so the whole, like, (laughs) impetus for this kind of line is that workers are ready... General workers are ready for kind of radical politics, right? So they can be approached with these, like, economic leftist ideas. That's kind of the whole driving force of all this. Um, But... Even though they're so fucked over by capitalism and they're ready to be receptive of leftist ideas, they also love America. So it seems like a contradiction there that, like, again, the mass of workers at this point in history, they're so fucked over by capitalism that they're open to some kind of Marxism. But they also fucking love America. Right. The thing that's destroying them. Exactly. And this is where it their kind of racial politics really show themselves for what they are because their idea of the worker if you think that the average worker in America in this country loves this country that's a very racially coded idea I would think and it shows that they think of the worker as this kind of rural white guy Uh, you know um, a a white Fordist factory worker that's what That's they are saying. That's every worker in 2021. Exactly. Yeah. David Harvey said something a while ago where he was like, if you think about, like, just thinking about what the working class is, he was like, I think about it in terms of, like, the workers at the Atlanta airport. Like, there's a ton of workers there. And, like, it's mostly black people yeah. at the Atlanta airport. And it's mostly black women. Right. And, like, that's a big part of what the working class is. 
I don't think those people love America necessarily. No. You know, like Malcolm X, not God bless America, goddamn America. Right. I didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth, Plymouth Rock landed on me. Right. Exactly. And I, and I think that's like at least as much of like a tangible idea among workers as like, oh, I love America. Right. There's, and, you know, even like normal love... workers. Right. Like if, totally. like, but yeah, so I think there's this idea that like normal workers aren't black. Exactly, they're like, white men. Right, but like a normal black worker would hate America. Right. Because why the fuck wouldn't they? Right, and if they didn't, they're wrong. <laughs> and, they, and they should be struggled with. Yeah, on, if you're a black person and you don't hate America, change your mind. Why the fuck would anyone, yeah. um, anyone, let alone a black person or a woman of color or a migrant worker, love America? And if that is the dominant ideology amongst workers, I highly doubt that. But even if it is, then we need to struggle with them on that level because right. that's incorrect. Not, oh, what we have to do is say they're, they're absolutely right and we just have to love America. Because then you're not doing your job as, a, as an internationalist mm, because right. America is a fucking uh, blood-sucking vampire mm. on the entire rest of the imperialized world careful with the anti-semitic uh, language there Tommy. oh shit okay. <laughs> i know you're a famous anti-semite <laughs> I'm a fam- one of the many reasons i love you yeah. <laughs> very obvious anti-semite according to glenn yeah. greenwald i'm a very obvious the first time i met you i was like oh she's the biggest she's, anti-semite in the world wow, Jesus i'm gonna be friends with her <laughs> <laughs> yeah i didn't chime in on that so ty got into a fight with Glenn Greenwald, who sucks ass, um, and he called her an anti-Semite for some, for some reason. I called him a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, I thought of great insults for him, like, the next day, and I was like, it's too late to chime in. I was going to call him, like, a pancake-faced hack or something. He is know. a pancake-faced hack. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I just anyway, love that okay. uh, he's so thin-skinned that mm. I have, like, 900 followers, whatever. I just called him a little bitch. <laughs> And he was like, You're a little bitch. You know, he like freaked out. I love it. Mm. I love it. God love, love it. it. Um, yeah, but workers love America. And so if we want to do Marxism, Marxism is about, this is irony, folks. Marxism, <laughs> Marxism is about just agreeing with workers and just go to workers and ask them what to do. That's Marxism. Right, like, um... It's funny, it's like a very... That was irony, that's not what Marxism actually is. It's like a very um, weird, almost Christian way of like looking at what we should do. You know, like, go to the people and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. Uh, kiss their feet. Like, it's not... Uh, the holy worker. It's not militant yeah. at all. It's not revolutionary at all. It's right. really regressive and backwards. Workers can be wrong. <laughs> but there's this idea right now that only, like, the PMC can be wrong. Right. The, the PMC professional managerial class. And so there was right. this big sort of mass hysteria last summer about the PMC, that they're in charge of everything, they're the real class enemy. Um, and this idea came from, like, right-wing think tanks, like the Claremont Institute, right. American right. Affairs... Uh, first things, other right-wing publications that I got a little obsessed with last fall um, and read like 500 pages of their propaganda um, just to try to critique it, you know. Right, sure. That's dialectics. And so dialectics isn't about like 
again, like, oh, I'm going to read all of, like, American Affairs journals and, like, see the good things I can take from them and synthesize it with Marxism. No, it's, like, learning about it so that you can fucking attack it. Yeah. So you can That's dialectics. It. Yeah. But, um, I don't know where I was going, <laughs> was going with that. But, yeah. So, reading all of that propaganda, one of the many things I learned was that, like, they have this idea that America should just be loved. Right. You shouldn't critique it because then you hate your country. And if you hate your country, then there's the door. You can go to Canada, you can go to fucking France, whatever, um, get out. But, but real patriotism, and this is the ironic thing, is real patriotism is about being very critical of your country. Right. So you critique your country because you want it to be better. Right. So just like uncritically accepting your country for what it is, isn't good patriotism. That's not going to bring your country along anywhere. And so just like that, being a good Marxist, good communist, whatever, isn't just about uncritically loving workers. Right. It's about showing workers what they need in terms of revolution, in terms of, you know, organizing. And again, this is the whole point of Lenin, that there has to be a professional revolutionary class and that you can't just go to every you know, trade union hall, every factory, and be like, okay, you guys are right, and we'll just hope that all of these factories and trade unions can, like, spontaneously join together in some kind of vague uprising, whatever. No, that's not how it's going to work. Right. Hmm. Right. And, um, and we should be integrated with the people, this kind of vague concept, but, uh, you know, that the, the professional revolutionaries, this is what I like about Mao. They're part of What I like about Mao? <laughs> you keep me up at night. <laughs> That's good. I like that. I, I think I just wrote a new bodega song. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I'm sure they love that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a new song. It's called What I Like About Mao. <laughs> My Maoism is a, is a, uh, yeah. Ty is in a band called Bodega, and she fights about Maoism with her bandmates a lot. Because her bandmates don't like Maoism, I guess. Because they they're think liberals. It's cringe. Yeah, they think it's cringe. They're yeah. liberals. Yeah. I'm getting to them. We're working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll wear them down eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But you were saying this idea of going to the people. Right, and, and uh, the, the mass line, you know, yeah. that... Um, the masses is a. Uh, the masses are the entirety of like the revolutionary class, and that includes these kind of professional revolutionaries. You're a part of it. It's a part of you. You're totally integrated with the masses of people. I think that this is an interesting idea, particularly with the advent of the internet, with these kind of ways of interacting with people that you maybe wouldn't usually, you know, I think that there's a lot of really interesting aspects of that. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm very, I'm anti-elitist. I hate the idea of, uh, elitism. Mm -hmm. But you're not a populist. But I'm not a populist. So a lot of this populism in our current moment is basically react, reacting against the elite. And that's understandable. Right. Who the fuck likes the elite? So it's anti-elite, anti-corporate. Right. Which, sure. fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but Wall, then it just uh, becomes... Main Street, not Wall Street, this kind of thing. Yeah, but then it just becomes sort of this 
generic, abstract fetishizing of anything that isn't elite, anything sure. that isn't corporate or whatever. Sure, and so sure. it can get into, you know, fetishizing um, localism. So like organic farms, communities, this kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. That, that's not elite and it's not corporate, so it must be good. Right. And so, you know, the general people aren't elite, so they must all be good. But that's not necessarily the case. And so this is, again, where dialectics comes in, is that you have to make distinctions between things. Right, sure. And localism is not communism. Just like your community. So communism and communitarianism are not the same. And this is an important distinction that I don't think is well understood. Communitarianism, it's a very long, ugly word. And like people don't like saying it or understand, or understand what the fuck it means. But communitarianism is basically a right-wing idea. Right, it's kind of right-wing communism, or not right-wing socialism, right-wing populism has a lot to do with communitarianism. Right. The idea that, you know, you have to rely on the people in your immediate area. Um, family values. Family values, this. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the government shouldn't give you health care. Your church should give you health care. This kind of thing. Right, right, right. And Your uh, local church up the street. Uh, this is also, I don't know if you've, um, this kind of, uh, Xi, Jin, Xi Jinping, he's about these kind of communitarian values. Really? He's about, um, <laughs> yes, he is. He's Xi about, Jinping, uh, welcome to the post left. He's about women, <laughs> women being in the home, these kind of family values. Mm, yeah. Uh, so... In China, though, that kind of makes more sense because China's been around forever. So, like, different places in China do have, like, their own, like, real history that go back, like, thousands of years. In America, well, we it. don't have that. Fuck that, though. Yeah, I agree. But, like, it makes a little more sense in China But it is than it the does same here. kind of communitarianism. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and the national identity, which is another thing that China is all about right now. Mm. Um, and... You see the parallels, is all I'm saying. Yeah. This communitarianism is totally um, consistent with um, imperialism. There's no aspect of it that is challenging it. Um, it's totally... I mean, even Ronald Reagan was about this. You know, uh, the problem with the 60s was we forgot our family values. And we forgot what, what women should be. Women and men are different. Uh, and, and, and women are, the women as this kind of, uh, uh, the bearer of life, that's what makes women special. Xi yeah. Jinping says shit like this now. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> it, it's totally, uh... He's Chinese Reagan. Something basically. like it. Yeah. Something like it. I mean, I don't really, I, 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 and it's totally consistent with kind of maintaining oneself as a global power. There's nothing about it that is revolutionary that is really challenging any of these. And, and, and when we say that you need to rely on the family, what you're saying is that we can't uh, build a collective... Uh, dictatorship of the proletariat. No, the, you're right. saying that that's impossible. Under a working class dictatorship, family. you don't have to rely on your local family and local church to exactly. meet your needs. You know? No. And that's kind of, you see these, it's a very, internationally, it's a very prominent idea. It's a very neoliberal idea as well. Mm -hmm. The kind of privatization of everything. 
Yeah. And also... And Ronald Reagan was the first president of neoliberalism, basically. Exactly. Neoliberalism began in, like, the mid to late 70s. So Richard Nixon is the last New Deal president. Yeah, sure. And then, you know, uh, you had Ford and Carter after them. It was this, like, weird transitional period. Right. Um, and then you have Reagan. So And that sort of inaugurates the neoliberal period. And he's all about communitarianism, localism, family values, right, all that. Sure. So all of that shit goes along with neoliberalism. Yeah. Very much. It's the well, it's one, the privatization of all of these things. Mm. And also that the ideological struggle of forgetting that private life is also very political. Yeah. Which is something that all too Sarah critiques and it's something that any feminist worth worth their salt has critiqued. Mm-hmm. The private is a distinction of bourgeois law. It's not, uh, just because it seems private doesn't mean that it's separate from the state. It's very much a part of the state. It's very much a part of the ideological reproduction of capitalism. You need the right. private to It's reproduce. a false distinction. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that Reagan, post-60s, where, where you know, Say what you want about the new left. A huge uh, discovery that they really made, and this is something that Mao, that is connected to a Maoist idea of ideology or or a mass ideological struggle, is that the private needs to be questioned. Mm. The 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 school, the education needs to be questioned. The church needs to be questioned. The family needs to be questioned. It's everywhere. This bourgeois ideology is everywhere. So that also applies to feminism. And when feminism, feminists critique the family and the patriarchal structure, they're also in a way critiquing capitalism because the patriarchal structure reinforces capitalism. So, and that manifests itself in the family. Right. But Reagan says, the private is your one respite from the political world. Mm. Uh, your sanctuary. Exactly. There's yeah. nothing political about it. That's actually all that exists. Yeah. You so know, this uh, false depoliticization exactly. is the most political thing. Yeah. It's like the famous Zizek quote, like, whoever claims to be post-ideological <laughs> is precisely the most ideological. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Sorry for exactly. that impression. <laughs> that, that was really good, actually. Yeah, it's, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's been done. It's, it's not that hard. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about horizontalism, okay. which is something we talked about in the past. Okay. Um, so I remember I went to Occupy Wall Street back in the day because mm-hmm. I'm fucking old. Um, and this was something <laughs> that you heard a lot about during Occupy Wall Street. Okay. There, there, there was like a book written around that time called Horizontalism. Mm-hmm. It kind of went along with like, oh, the 99% versus the 1%. Um, right. That flattens out a lot of different distinctions. Exactly. Really yeah. Important. Right. And so it's this idea of flattening things out as some kind of revolutionary mechanism. But revolution is not about flattening things out. Revolution requires a kind of verticality, I think, right? And so this gets back to Lenin's theory of the vanguard, that there has to be a class of professional revolutionaries to have revolution happen. Um, So having everything be flattened out and on the same level, again, that's not... It appears to be a kind of materialism, that like, oh, 99% versus the 1%. you know, materialist analysis, uh, poor versus rich, overclass versus underclass, right? Right, right. Bullshit. Those are all conservative terms. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but to actually, so that's a fake kind of materialism. That's mechanical materialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, sure. But real dialectical materialism does have a kind of verticality to it. Right, and and it acknowledges that what we need is power. Right, and so and horizontalism. You're not going to get power by laying down flat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, horizontalism is literally laying down flat. <laughs> it's the most uh, toothless thing, literally. Right, and it can't move forward. So anything that's laid. I mean, in very basic terms, if you're laying down, you can't move forward, right? No. To move forward, you got to be standing up. Yeah, absolutely. If you, like, moving when you're laying down, that's, like, just rolling, sort of? Exactly. Like a roll. What kind of threat are you posing to anything? You're just kind of rolling around. <laughs> just rolling on the ground? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a... <coughs> so that's horizontalism. Right. And I remember very clearly, like, that word being thrown around at Occupy Wall Street. Oh, it's, um, it's societal. I swear to God. Yeah, it does sort of seem like that because that term in that book, I don't even know who wrote it, some jackass. It kind of came out of nowhere, like right around the time Occupy right. Wall Street was around. Like, hey man, this is horizontalism. We got to fucking, we're all in this together, whatever. Um, but like, no, we're not. Um, right. And so this, I think, also gets into the liberal theorists who are often included in left discourse, I guess, like Foucault and right, Deleuze. Sure. Um, and so th- I think they go along with a kind of horizontalism too, right? Because with Foucault and Deleuze, their idea is like, oh, power is everywhere. Right. right? And it's like sure. too diffuse. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, well, it's individualized. So, mm. you know, with like a lot of postmodern feminists, what they think is that, you know, um, power is this inter interpersonal 